Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to today's installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson, and we are going to dive right into it. Um, This week is an important week. Um, The topic is important. The guests are important. Uh, We are under attack. We being the LGBT community and the broader community that cares about all of its members and particularly the transgender part of our community is literally being attacked on a daily basis, on a different front, um, in 30-plus states in the United States. It is really a horrific display. It is un-American. It is based on ignorance, pure and simple. Um, It is, uh, and transgender kids in particular are being held out to dry by a political establishment with, uh, that is coming after them really vindictively. Um, I'm sure it is, they have political um, cachet in doing so to rile up their base to look like they're doing something, um, you know, to kind of keep ignorance alive uh, for lack of um, anything else. But today we're not only going to talk about what is being done um, in the attack against transgender kids, but we're also going to talk about what the response is from the LGBT community side and our leadership. Um, we have a couple of special guests lined up. Um, first up is um, a really good friend of our show. We've had him on several times, Brandon Wolf. Uh, Brandon is an incredible, incredible person. He is a huge, huge anti-gun violence um, advocate. Uh, he became so after a horrific experience in which he was at the Pulse nightclub the night Um, that an assassin came in and, um, among other things, killed several of Brandon's um, uh, friends, dear friends, dearest friends. And um, that set Brandon on to a course of activism, which has now um, centered him in the um, auspices of Equality Florida, of which he is um, now a media relations manager. And so he is speaking up um, today on transgender issues. Um, because we have limited time with Brandon, I'm going to bring him and Brody on uh, right away. Brody is, of course, the uh, wonderful co-host of the show. Brody, welcome. And Brandon, welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Oh, thanks. Thank you both. It's great to, to be on with you again. It's been a while. <laughs> It it has been a while, and you have been very busy. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, and I wish it were under um, more cheerful um, circumstances. Uh, Florida had uh, some kind of horrific things over the past day or so. Um, Do you want to bring us up to speed from your perspective, what's going on? Yeah, thank you for that. So, um, you know, it's not just Florida that obviously is under assault, and I really appreciate you laying it out in the big picture at the top of the show. Uh, we have 34 of the U.S. states considering a ban on transgender kids in sports. 
And this is really birthed out of a far right movement, uh, organizations like ALEC and um, the Heritage Foundation and others. They started this sort of experiment with the culture war on trans kids in sports in Idaho. And if you'll notice, the, the anti-LGBTQ movement moves between different members of the community that it decides to victimize based on our own progress, right? So at one point in time, right. uh, it was gay men all have AIDS and they're all diseased. And when that was no longer palatable to the public, then it was gay marriage would erode the very foundations on which our society sits. And on and on until now, they've landed at trans kids in sports. Well, in 2020, Idaho passed a ban on transgender children playing on sports teams that coincide with their gender identity. That has since been challenged. It's now under injunction from a federal judge who said it's likely unconstitutional. But those organizations then went and copy-pasted that bill to 33 other states and said, here, you try to run with it. And so you get a convergence of factors. You get the anti-LGBTQ movement that's not very happy that we've made progress recently in the Supreme Court and with the Biden administration. And you have this aggrieved right-wing Trump-supporting base that looks like they might be less interested in voting in future election cycles because they think the whole thing is rigged. So you've got these two populations coming together, and they're united behind the transgender sports ban. Florida saw its ban introduced in both the House and the Senate. We fought as hard as we could in both chambers. Uh, the bill passed the House a couple of weeks ago after fierce and ferocious debate from our Democratic champions, uh, led by Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith, who is an out LGBTQ Latinx lawmaker here in Central Florida. And it really put a spotlight on how cruel this bill was, including a portion of it that would subject children to genital infections to determine whether or not they belong on the soccer field with their other elementary school friends. As a yeah, result, Brandon, I wanna, it was huge. Yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I just want to make a point um, on something you, you brought up about the attack on the right on the different issues. Um, just added a little color on it. Those attacks are usually um, preemptive. In other words, they come about actually before – the LGBT community or establishment has established anything proactively going after these things. Like marriage equality, um, the right were, was attacking um, marriage equality and, and trying to get constitutional amendments across the country long before there was any in movement in any of those states to establish marriage equality. And in this right. case, again, you know, these transgender um, rights are being attacked before anybody's tried to codify them. You know, it's like nobody has yes. been, uh, you know, out there pushing this on anybody. Um, you know, yeah, it's really I, I think horrific. That's a, I, I think that's a really good point, Rob. And I do want to just emphasize for folks listening that Florida, just well, let's just take Florida alone. Florida has had policies through the Florida High School Athletics Association and the NCAA for transgender kids competing on teams with their friends uh, for almost a decade. There have been exactly zero documented incidents of someone getting hurt or someone having a championship stolen from them. All of the things that these bill sponsors claim are happening are not actually happening. And when you ask them for examples of why this bill is so urgently needed, they can't give you one because they right. don't exist. Transgender kids don't pose a threat. They never have. This is sort of an invented boogeyman, the next culture war, 
for a party that doesn't really have a legislative agenda outside of culture wars, you know, in sort of its DNA. Um, so just taking you back to the, the path of this bill, the House passed it, went to the Senate. The public outcry was so large that the bill was killed in the Rules Committee. That was its final committee in the Senate. The Senate sponsor said, you know what, we need to take a breather. We need to push pause on this. This bill is not coming back. Well, that's not true. The Florida legislature went into the shady, smoky back rooms the last couple of days and cut a deal to attach the transports ban onto a totally unrelated charter schools bill and try to ram it through in the 11th hour. But yesterday, that's exactly what happened. During floor debate on the charter schools bill, uh, Representative Tuck, who is the bill sponsor, attached it to this charter school bill. Uh, There was more fierce debate on the floor. They passed it along party lines. They sent it to the Senate. The Senate chose not to wait until the next day to hear it. Instead, they pulled it to the floor immediately. There was more fierce and emotional debate, and it also passed along party lines. So in the blink of an eye, behind closed doors, the Florida legislature was able to ram through a ban on transgender kids playing in sports. And, and from what I understand, the governor is set to sign this. Is that correct? Well, we don't know that. Um, and so that's why we're encouraging people to contact the governor right now. It is on his desk. He could sign it at any moment. But he hasn't indicated that he is going to do that. He actually hasn't spoken on the issue of trans yeah. kids in sports since the very beginning of this discussion. So we would encourage everyone, reach out to the governor, urge him to veto the bill, uh, we still have a shot to kill this before it, it gets over the finish line. Well, I think one and, of the things um, we also need to point out too, Brandon, is just how onerous uh, this bill is. I think what I find uh, personally extremely appalling is the genital inspection triggering of, you know, determining, you know, what team, you know, your kid is going to play on in terms, in terms of youth sports. That's beyond invasive. It, it's it's just it's appalling, and I, I think that you know our listenership needs to understand that this is literally the thought processes that went into this particularly onerous piece of legislation. I also need yeah. to point out that this is the basic attitude that we have seen across the United States with a great deal of these bills, uh, particularly with the onslaught tsunami of these bills. Uh, in the state of Texas. So anyway, that's my two bits there, Brandon. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think Representative Smith said it really well yesterday on the floor. The the bill sponsor, when she attached it to this random charter schools bill, uh, actually removed the general inspection sort of component or provision to the measure. And she said that that was her offering a compromise to the other side of the aisle. And Representative Smith kind of encapsulated it and said, offering to remove the genital inspections of children from a bill is not a compromise. It's insane that we were ever considering it in the first place. And it's an indictment of every single person in this room who would vote for a bill that is so malicious and cruel toward the most marginalized among us. It's uh, unbelievable. Um, Brandon, so as you and I were talking about just a second ago, um, a lot of this effort is blindsiding people who have any sensibility. I mean, it's not like we expected this to come and expected it this force or expected it with this immediacy. Um, What is Equality Florida and other organizations able to do? And and are there plans coming together? Um, Should the governor sign it? What, What are the next steps? 
Yeah, great question. Um, I need people to know that we have been fighting this tooth and nail from the very beginning. From the day it was introduced, we have been doing the hard work of battling this thing. Listen, that part of the reason that the trans sports ban legislation is catching fire and seems to be a political win right now for the right is because it manipulates what people already think and know about the world. It uses confirmation bias to manipulate people's idea of fairness and wanting to protect women on a sports field. It uses words like equality. Um, and, and those things can be confusing for people, especially if they don't know transgender people. And so part of the work we've had to do is a lot of public education so that people understand that this bill has nothing to do with protecting women in sports. It has nothing to do with uh, fairness and equality on the field. It's all about attacking a marginalized group of kids. Um, so the question is, First of all, can we stop the governor from signing it? We'd like to hope so. We want to continue to push people to, to reach out to the governor. Should he do the thing that we don't think he should, and that is sign the bill, uh, then we will move into a space of litigation. We've already had conversations with attorneys and directly impacted folks here in the state of Florida. We will, of course, look at every legal option. We will also look at options in the next legislative session uh, to repeal the bill know that Equality Florida and certainly national partners and other state and local groups are going to do everything we can, and we are not going to stop until these bills are gone once and for all. Yeah, no, and I believe in you, and, um, yeah, I, if anybody can do it, you can. And I, 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 <laughs> well, we're going to I try. Trust, <laughs> I trust you on that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Brandon, I want to ask you, um, kind of deviating off of the um, transgender sports issue, which um, uh, uh, the points we've already made, it's, you know, there are no incidents. It's solving a non-problem that, that is not out there. And second of all, a lot of the sports organizations already have criteria in place for these situations. This is not yeah. something that they haven't already thought out. They have reasonable rules and hormonal um, tests, et cetera, et cetera, in place. So, again, it is solving something that isn't a problem. But the, um, in Texas, their Senate just passed a bill that is going to their house that would classify providing gender-affirming health care to transgender minors as child abuse. And this is like the next wave of anti-trans attack that is happening. Uh, one, do you see anything like that coming up in Florida and two, um, you know, what are your thoughts on stopping that kind of legislation? So last year, the battle that we faced in the state legislature was on exactly what you're talking about. A representative named Anthony Sabatini introduced a bill that would do exactly the same. And I remember his bill. Um, I don't know the Texas bill by heart, but I know that uh, Anthony Sabatini's bill here in Florida would have actually charged doctors with a felony for providing gender-affirming care to children. So those doctors would go to jail for providing care that they have learned to provide because they are medical professionals. Um, and we, we had to do a lot of the same work that we're doing right now to beat that bill last year, and that is educate the public on, on you know, what we're actually talking about here. This is the M.O. of the current Republican Party and certainly of its far-right conservative base. Um, there is no legislative platform. We're not talking about tax policy anymore uh, or how to best to, to repair the infrastructure in this country. We're fighting culture wars that seek to demonize the most marginalized people among us. 
gender-affirming care is life-saving care for transgender young people. Let's Absolutely. be clear about what trans what let's be clear about what trans young people face right now. Transgender young people, at least in the state of Florida and I believe nationwide, are about three to five times as likely to attempt suicide in their formative years as their cisgender peers. Which means if you deny them access to the care that affirms and uplifts who they are, if you deny them access to clubs and sports and opportunities to belong in school, if you shut them out of society, you are assigning them to death. That is what we're talking about. We're talking about life and death for transgender kids. And the idea that these politicians, these elected officials, would go out into state legislatures, into Congress, and use trans kids as a political football to shore up their base is unconscionable to me. We have got to be doing more to uplift and amplify these kids, to treat them with dignity and respect, not to demonize them, not to undermine them, and certainly not to criminalize them receiving the care that they deserve. No, absolutely. It's horrific. And my perspective as a parent is, it is, to, to your point, unconscionable. I mean, it is, these parents are in a position where they're making decisions for their kids and they're, I guarantee you, even the most clear-minded parent in that situation is scared because this is, this is making decisions, life and death, to your point, about their kids. And for the state to come in and manipulate it and terrorize these families is horrific. It is absolutely un-American. It is, you know, you know, this is not a free country if that is what we allow to have happen. It is, it is absolutely terrible. I mean, it is, it is terrorism That's right. in, at its heart. You know, um, you know I, so, I think of, well, I think about when I was a kid and my idea of what being conservative and, and being a part of the Republican Party meant. You know, my parents were registered Republicans. I think I flirted with wanting to register as a Republican when I was 18. And in my mind, it was about small government, right? That's what I had been right. told my entire childhood was the party of small government. I don't see any inkling of a party of small government that wants to inject itself into every single decision that happens in a kid's life, inject themselves into the doctor's office, inject themselves onto the sports field. You have elected officials in legislatures across the country that are trying to solve problems that don't exist by injecting themselves into the lives of young people everywhere. That doesn't sound like the party of small government to me. And it certainly doesn't sound like, uh, you know, a, a party that wants to lift all boats. It sounds like a party desperate to shore up its base as it realizes it's losing grip on power in this country. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I come from a similar background. I was my, I, I wouldn't just say my parents were registered Republican. They were dyed in the wool, drank the Kool-Aid on board Republicans. And um, my mom was a registrar when I first was able to vote. And you, you, you know, I had to register Republican. It was, that or, or complete family disbarment. But, um, yeah, but you're absolutely right. The, these are not principles that any of us who were brought up in the Republican sphere were told was what the Republican Party was about. And certainly women can already relate to that because they've already injected them into women's uteruses across the country as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that, that horror, horror show continues. 
Um, Brandon, I know we've only got limited time with you, and I did want to touch base with you on on um, our old issue. Um, you yeah. know, you you have been an absolute, um, uh, you know, I want to say poster child, but you know, you've been been out there up front in terms of the gun violence prevention movement. Um, what are your thoughts on the Biden administration's um, initial efforts in this area? and um, any movement that, that we have going forward. Um, are we getting better? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you for not letting us forget the uniquely American epidemic of gun violence. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, it's refreshing to me that we can even talk about a presidential administration and gun safety in the same sentence. Because if you remember, I know I've sort of blocked it out. I've tried to, to shield myself from the trauma of the last four right. years. But during the Trump administration, we weren't even allowed to say guns out loud uh, without, you know, somebody on the other side of the aisle accusing us of trying to steal their guns right out from underneath them. So it feels really good that as a country, we're beginning to have those conversations at the highest level again. I'm really um, hopeful. I, I spent time with the president in the Rose Garden and the Oval Office about two weeks ago when he signed those executive actions into law. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see us talking about ghost guns. I'm excited to see us talking about red flag laws. I'm excited to hear us investing real dollars in community violence intervention programs. I'm excited to have a gun safety prevention advocate at the head of ATF. I think we're making real progress, but I think the most exciting part for me about what the president had to say was his very clear invitation to Congress to get something done. Uh, President Biden so far has not been shy about wanting Congress to move more quickly, more urgently, and more aggressively on the things that the American people want, that want them to get done. When he said unity, when he said he was going to unify the country, he didn't say that members on both sides of the aisle in Congress who are only looking out for their own skin would always agree. He meant that he was going to unify the country around the things that we all want to get done. A majority of Americans want something different to happen around gun safety. They want, they want to send their kids off to school and bring them home in one piece. They want to send their loved ones off to work and bring them home in a car, not a body bag. And the fact that we can't get anything done is not a symptom of American brokenness. It's a symptom of a broken Washington, D.C. And I think right. the president has been, has been very clear in his invitation to members of Congress to get past the politics, to get past everything that's happening in those halls, and to think about their constituents first, to do the work that the American people sent them there to do by whatever means necessary. And I'm looking forward to them doing that. Yeah, incredibly well said. And I'm so thrilled that we have people like you out there. Although, to be honest, I don't know. That's probably a misstatement because I think there is only one and only you and um, you are a superstar. And, um, oh, thank um, you. I don't know if the yeah. world could handle more than one. I, I know my parents couldn't, that's for sure. <laughs> well, we cherish the one we have, okay? Brandon, before we lose you, any, any final words that you have for us on, on any subject you want to talk about, actually? You know, I just want to encourage people to stay engaged and stay involved. I know we have fatigue from the last four years of Donald Trump. I know we've fought really hard, and everybody wants to go back to brunch for for a minute and just breathe a sigh of relief. But the truth is that opponents to equality 
uh, opponents to the things that we care about, to our values, um, to our system of government, those opponents don't sleep. And they're working overtime right now to try and erode the very things that make us who we are. So I encourage people, if you're in Florida, check out Equality Florida. If you're national, check out the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, Check out your local and state-level organizations. Get involved. Stay involved. If we are going to really turn this country around and take power back from those who have stolen it from us, then we're going to have to get involved on the grassroots, elect the right kind of people, push them to pass the policies we're looking for, and we've got to look out for each other. So get involved, stay involved. We're in the fight together. Yeah, definitely. I have one other question for you because uh, from, from those of us like in California who are sort of sitting on the sidelines watching this all take place elsewhere, um, you know, a lot of people call for boycotts of states that have uh, passed these kind of legislation, um, you know, and basically it's out of frustration of wanting to be able to do something. What is your advice to those outside the sphere? Um, you know, are boycotts effective or are they hurting people that shouldn't be hurt? Yeah. Well, listen, boycotts are painful, um, you know, to have economic Um, to have revenue sucked out of a state is very painful for working people. It's painful for communities. It's especially painful in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic that has ravaged the economy. And certainly here in Florida and central Florida, where we rely on tourism dollars, it would be very painful for us to face boycott. But the truth is, if lawmakers are passing policies and they know the risks that they're running by passing those policies, then they're asking for it. Uh, Democrats and organizations like Equality Florida have told Republicans in the state of Florida numerous times you are flirting with disaster because you know that these companies have already come out and said that they do not support these policies. Um, If those companies want to march in pride, they want to turn their logo into a rainbow in June, uh, they want to be seen as an inclusive and affirming organization or company, then they're going to have to ask themselves really tough questions about whether or not they put their money where their mouths are when the moment counts. Um, We have transgender kids under attack in the state of Florida and beyond, and I think that corporate America is going to have to look really hard in the mirror and ask themselves if it's just about Pride Month or if it's about every single day of the year protecting LGBTQ people from discrimination and violence. Wow, that is super powerful what you just said, and um, they need to hear that. They absolutely need to hear that and get that message. That's that's um, pretty right on. Yeah, Brody, any, any well, final questions I'm from you? Always for grateful to spend time with you. No, oh my no, God. I'm, Brandon, I'm, I'm Brandon, good. Brandon, you have a seat Brandon. here any time you want it. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second that motion. Uh, no, I, uh, uh, Brandon has been um, uh, great in terms of uh, being able to keep uh, myself and my, my reporters uh, well-informed. Um, and, you know, from my perspective, uh, this is the type of thing that needs addressing. And so, Brandon, as always, I appreciate you, and I appreciate all the hard work that you guys do on the ground there in Florida. Oh, yeah, anytime. I, I love Florida. People say, why don't you just – Move home to Oregon and, and put your feet up for a while. But I love Florida. It's my home, and I want yeah. to fight for it to be a better place, an inclusive place, a safe place for, for queer young people, and I'm going to keep doing that work. You know, you Brandon, I, you know, it's, I, I want you in Florida. I want you where it counts because you make 
a difference. You make a huge, huge difference. And like I said, I totally believe in you and, you know, we're totally on board and anything we can do and anything we can promote for you, we are there for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you both. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brendan. I'm going to let you go because I know you are, are busy today talking to other people. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And with that, um, I want to welcome to the show our next guest, uh, the esteemed guest, uh, Alfonso David, who is president of the HRC. Alfonso, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my God. Thank you for being here. Um, we have been talking about this um, essentially war that has been declared on transgender youth. Um, you are an accomplished and nationally recognized LGBTQ civil rights lawyer and advocate, apart from obviously being president of the Human Rights Campaign. Um, what, what, from your perspective, can you tell us about what's going on? You framed it correctly. Um, you know, we are facing a crisis in this country, LGBTQ people specifically. Uh, 2021 is on track to become the worst year for state legislative attacks against LGBTQ people in history. We have 11 anti-LGBTQ bills that have already been enacted into law. We have another nine that are already on governor's desk waiting signatures. Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, South Dakota, all have discriminatory laws on their books now. Um, we have executive orders banning transgender athletes from participating in sports. We have similar bills that are, are, are being considered by legislators across the country. These bills are dangerous. They're harmful to LGBTQ people and specifically transgender and non-binary youth. And we need all hands on deck. Uh, the fact of the matter is these bills are not rooted in the real world. They're really rooted in fear, in discrimination, and in disinformation. And we need everyone to engage. If you believe in equality, if you believe that we should all be treated equally in this democracy, then we need you to get involved in this fight and push back against anti-equality extremists who are introducing bills that are in search of a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, all of the major mental health and, and medical um, establishment organizations have made statements against this. Are these, are these organizations being vocal enough and being visible enough um, on the forefront where these bills are being put forth, um, in your opinion? I, I think they are. And you know what's fascinating about this? Uh, if you look at a number of different states where they've held public legislative hearings, you've had representatives from some of the major medical associations testify and say, these bills are harmful. These bills actually are not addressing any problem we are aware of. And yet, members of the legislature in those states ignore the science. They ignore the facts. They know what they're doing. In 2019, an organization called the American Principles Project, which is an anti-LGBTQ organization, told the New York Times that they realized that they had been fighting a battle against bathrooms to not allow transgender people to use restrooms consistent with their gender identity. They realized that when those bills did not pass, the sky didn't fall. So they decided to do some polling 
And when they shifted their narrative from the bathroom bills to focusing on transgender youth in sports, they could mobilize their base. This is in 2019. And they said, well, if we can frame this through the lens of us versus them, if you allow transgender students to participate in sports consistent with their gender identity, you, citizen, lose something. And if they framed it through that lens, they could mobilize their base. That's what this is all about. The Heritage Foundation, the American Principles Project, the Alliance Defending Freedom, quote, unquote, they are the ones who are drafting bills, advancing this narrative that LGBTQ people should not have basic protections under law, and the legislators are accepting them. Why? Because they believe that they are going to be supported by these organizations. They also understand that um, they will have, when these cases inevitably are challenged, or these laws are inevitably challenged, because they cannot withstand legal scrutiny, the Alliance Defending Freedom has already said that they will defend lawsuits when the states are sued. So if you are an anti-LGBTQ extremist, your position is I can mobilize my base, and at the same time, if I'm sued, I'm going to get legal defense from a group that is going to defend me and defend the state. Well, yeah, no, that well, is what's well going said. on. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and to your point, the, um, the thing where they get traction, and they've done it historically, is to find something where there is some uh, set of, quote-unquote, common wisdom out there that the common person sort of adheres to. With marriage equality, all they had to do was introduce the idea that two people of the same sex get married, which people weren't used to. People didn't see it. People didn't know it. And it seemed odd. And so when they said, well, marriage should be defined as man and a woman, common wisdom at the time sounded like, yeah, that sounds reasonable. And now they're trying to do the same thing within sports where there is a perception of a difference between women's sports and men's <laughs> sports. And it's kind of an easy leverage, even though it's not based in, in any sort of reality. But um, Alfonso, the HRC is by far the, the, the biggest, most esteemed LGBTQ organization. What, under your leadership, um, uh, is the organization going to do to fight this? I mean, we've been kind of blindsided by this. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. This is, you know, this is a surprise for, for some people, not all. I, I certainly, unfortunately, am not surprised because we've seen this playbook before. I mean, you referenced uh, the, the efforts to thwart marriage equality. Uh, we saw this with the bathroom bills. We saw this in decades past when there were initiatives to prohibit LGBTQ people from working in public schools. Right, so this is the same old playbook. When um, individuals who are holding on to the status quo, and the status quo has been to exclude LGBTQ people, they realize that things are changing. They realize that they're losing. And so what they're doing now is to target the most vulnerable, which are transgender youth. And what the Human Rights Campaign is doing, in addition to sounding the alarm, is that we are reaching out to our corporate allies, corporate leaders, to make sure that they engage in this fight. Public letter in the New York Times asking all corporate leaders to actively engage, to denounce these, these bills, to refuse to open up new businesses in the states that discriminate against LGBTQ people, to refuse to sponsor events. 
where transgender athletes or athletes who are taking the knee are penalized. And we're also asking them to actively engage in signing a public letter that basically says they denounce these bills. We have more than 80 companies, national firms, that have now signed this letter. We have more than 400 who have signed a national letter supporting the Equality Act, and we're going to push, be pushing more companies to engage. In addition to that, I've called on the NCAA, and that is the regulatory body that basically oversees um, athletes uh, in high school and college. And I've asked them to take an active role to make sure that they address the STEM, uh, the, the anti-trans momentum that we're seeing, and specifically asking them to withdraw from championship events in states that are enacting harmful legislation. We're calling on elected officials to make sure that they get involved. You can't say that you're pro-equality and then ignore the fact that legislation is being enacted and indoctrinated and harmful legislation is being enacted and indoctrinated into our laws. So we're asking them to, to get involved as well. Those are just a few things that we're doing, but we need more people to get involved. There's a campaign that we have it's called Count Me In. We're asking people to get involved, to volunteer, to make phone calls, to make sure that we raise the alarm bells, that these bills are being advanced, and we need everyone to engage. That's awesome. How does somebody engage in that? How do they get involved in that? Because we're, we're sitting here peacefully in California where we have none of this <laughs> going on at our state level. And it's, you know, and it's, you know, like a lot of American politics, we're like sitting here eating popcorn, watching, you know, what's going on over the border. Um, but, you know, feeling it very deeply and personally, how do people outside these 30 states get involved and, and have an impact? And specifically, where, where do they go to do that? Sure, absolutely. Go to hrc.org and type in Count Me In if you haven't seen it, and you will find the campaign that asks you to take certain actions. Uh, you could volunteer with us to make phone calls in states to educate elected officials about the harm that these bills will do. Um, to members of the LGBTQ community. We're asking you to help us contact members of Congress and tell them how important it is that these bills are actually vetoed or action is taken against them. We're asking people to contact their employers and ask their employers to engage in this fight. We have more than 20,000 businesses in the United States that hire more than 500 employees or more, 20,000 and we have only 400 businesses that are supporting the Equality Act. We only have 80 businesses that are denouncing anti-trans legislation in the state. Contact your employer and say, this is important to me. If you have corporate social values, you should take action to support those values, and one of those mm -hmm. values is equality. So ask your employers to engage. Uh, those are just three things that people could do from their homes. You can pick up the phone, you can get on the computer, and you can contact your employer to make sure that they actively engage in this fight. Yeah, Mr. Brandon David, Wolf, who is on just, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Rob, finish up. I have a question. Yeah, yeah, I just, uh, yeah Brandon Wolf, who is on just before you from Equity, um, uh, Equity, Equality, California, uh, Florida, um, <laughs> made the point about um, uh, organizations that are in our pride parades and, you know, doing marketing to the LGBT community and that it's time for them to be, you know, soul searching and, you know, show up where it really counts. And um, the HRC is certainly the organization to leverage that. Um, 
I'm not sure if I have a question in that, but just, you know, <laughs> great point. <laughs> I would just say I Brody? agree, and that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, no, it you can't like, say that yeah. you are a pro-equality company and then you don't take active steps uh, to denounce anti-trans or anti-LGBTQ legislation. We're seeing more of this now where companies are being held accountable for the press releases or the value statements that they've issued. We want to make sure that corporations are taking active steps. Now, having said that, there are several companies that are taking active roles. So I don't want to suggest that no companies are engaged. Again, 400 businesses have signed a public letter. They're engaged with Congress. We have more than 80 companies that are engaged as well on the state level. But we need more is the point. Excellent. Mr. Brody? Mr. Yeah, Mr. David, good afternoon. Thank you again for coming on, sir. Um, let sure. me ask you this. Um, here in California, I'm the editor of the Los Angeles Blade, and I had uh, the mother of an 11-and-a-half-year-old trans girl call me, and her daughter is freaked out because, as you know, at that age, they have a term. They think, they think in global terms, and to them, the government is monolithic, and she's scared that the government's going to come get her rights and take them away. Um, and she's mm-hmm. also talking with kids, you know, elsewhere. Um, you know, one of the things that I would ask is, you know, this is actually not an abstract or an academic issue. Um, what steps is the human rights campaign taken and proceed, will proceed to take to kind of move it into the metrics of the everyday folks, of the, you know, the mom-pop Apple Pie Chevrolet and Walmart customers out there so they understand that this has a significant impact on people. This is this is moving beyond, you know, and 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 again, I'm I'm just saying based on the conversations that I have had and my colleagues in the press have had with families that are being impacted by this. But you know, and I talked to it uh, briefly with Brandon a few minutes ago. You know, the, the level of impact. Um, yeah. What is your response to that, sir? And and what does the HRC plan to do? Well, we're already doing a lot of what you're referencing. And when we take a step back and think about the different audiences that we have to reach, we are taking active steps to speak to all of the relevant audiences. So I'll give you a few examples. We've held a number of press conferences to make sure that we're educating the media about the importance of speaking out and writing about these bills. Um, It wasn't until very recently we saw many newspapers writing about the anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ legislation. That's incredibly important because members of the media, as you know, have the ability to inform the public discourse. So when you're thinking about that audience, we have been actively engaged to make sure we're educating the media that they're informed about these bills and the impact of these bills. It's not only that these bills are being passed, it's about the impact that they're having. Transgender youth attempt suicide four times the rate of cisgender, of their cisgender peers. They suffer a higher rate of depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. We need to make sure, and we have been doing that, to make sure that reporters understand the impact of these bills so when they reach out to elected officials and ask them about why they're passing these bills, they talk about it through the lens of impact. So that's the first audience. But that's the second audience and the one that you're mentioning, which is making sure that families understand that they have support that they have support from the larger movement. And we have been reaching out through a council. We have a council of parents of transgender and non-binary kids all over the country. 
and they have been reaching out to other parents to make sure they understand that there is a support network for them so that they can provide them with guidance, they can provide them with any technical support that they might need, their children might need, as they go through a very difficult time. And then third, we're engaging with governments, local governments as well as the federal government, to make sure that when we're thinking about curriculums, that we have to make sure that the curriculums that we're using, the curricula, I should say, that we're using are inclusive of LGBTQ people. We have a program called Welcoming Schools. And that program specifically works with local school districts to make sure that when they talk about history, when they talk about identity, LGBTQ people are included. So that trans boy or trans girl that is sitting in class can see themselves reflected in the materials that are being disseminated to other students. Those are just three examples of things that we're doing across the country. I think that's extremely critical. I think that one of the things, too, Mr. David, uh, and you stressed this earlier in the conversation to Rob's question, uh, the president last night in the State of the Union address um, in a significant way said, and I'm quoting President Biden, to all the transgender Americans watching at home, especially the young people who are so brave, I want you to know that your president has your back. And, of course, the president is urging Congress for passage of the Equality Act. Um, outside of that, though, would you not agree, sir, that we need a little bit more focused messaging uh, in terms of taking a look at the other side of the aisle and getting them to see, you know, the human aspect of it, or the, the legislators that at least would be deemed, I'll use the word moderate? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laughing because you know exactly what I meant. Uh, but anyway, that's what what kind of out, what kind of effort and uh, outreach uh has your organization or maybe others within the movement uh had in terms of reaching out to those moderate uh lawmakers and maybe independent lawmakers that could be sitting on the fence especially in terms of looking at the equality act sure sure so there is a coalition of organizations working to pass the equality act 16 organizations in fact uh, national organizations around the country, and the coalition is called Freedom and Opportunity for All. And within that coalition, we have been working in engaging a broad coalition of leaders across various sectors of American life to push for the Equality Act. And we have been engaging with leaders on both sides of the aisle uh, to get this done. Uh, so those conversations are happening. Uh, can't really talk about those conversations publicly, but I can just say that we are actively engaged in having those conversations because you're absolutely right. Um, this is a manufactured culture war by extremists. The majority of people in this country support equality, more than 70%. Two-thirds of people in this country oppose the anti-trans legislation that we see being introduced in states around the country. So we know that this is a vocal and powerful minority, powerful meaning that they have a stronghold on certain legislators in certain states, um, but they actually don't have the support of the American public. And in addition to communicating to those moderates and others uh, across the aisle about the importance of passing the Equality Act, we are also talking to them about the misinformation and disinformation campaign that we're seeing advance, and we're also educating them about the harm that these local bills are having on communities around the country. I mean, think about this sad reality. 
certain families are moving. They're leaving their hometowns and moving exactly. to other states because they are afraid of, you know, the impact that these laws are going to have on their families. So stressing that point to elected officials is incredibly important, and that is what we're doing, so that they understand the real-world impact of these bills. It's not just passing a bill that says, you know, transgender students can't play sports consistent with their gender identity or can't receive medical care. It's actually real. That means some of these kids can no longer receive medical care. That means that they're being denied their their very identity and existence in those states, and that will have significant collateral consequences on their lives. So we're having those conversations through the lens of the Equality Act as well as through the lens of the local legislation that we're seeing passed in states across the country. Fair enough, that Rob. Is, yeah, that's su- so super important. And, um, and, and that situation is what's happening where we've had experts on, um, on this show in the past weeks that are actively advising families like that to move that that may be their only short-term recourse. Um, so that tragedy and that, that horror is, is happening. Um, I wanted to ask you about the bill that has passed the Senate in the Texas um, that would classify providing gender-affirming health care to transgender minors as child abuse. This seems like it's going to be an even darker level than the other things we're fighting. Um, what are your comments about those kind of bills and should any of those pass, what would be um, the recourse of the, of the community? Well, in addition to the bills that we've talked about that have already passed, we know not only in Texas but other parts of the country, we have bills that are even more um, oppressive that are being considered, uh, including the one in Texas. Look, to the extent we are not able to stop these bills from passing or stop these bills from being signed, we are not going away. We have other tools that we're going to use, including challenging these laws in court. We're not going away. Our Constitution has to mean something. Living in the democracy has to mean something. And so if these state legislators are not going to listen and they're going to pass discriminatory laws that violate our Constitution and violate the core principles of our democracy, in addition to violating some federal laws, then we we will have to challenge them in court. Um, I don't believe that many of these bills that are being passed can withstand legal scrutiny. And so the community needs to understand that we will continue fighting. We are not going away. Mm -hmm. We're not going to allow a vocal minority to strip us of vital protections that we're entitled to. Excellent. Uh, So I wanted to ask you, I wanted to kind of pull this into big picture. Um, um, I am, I am, personally so thrilled to see you as the leader of the human rights campaign. I, you know, I believe in you and um, I, I'm absolutely, I think you are the right leader at the right time. Certainly you're fighting a battle that came upon you, but apart from that, what is your longer term vision for the human rights campaign and the impact you want it to make under you? You know, I have a very uh, lofty goal. Well, first, thank you for saying that, Um, fighting for liberation. I'm fighting to get to that point in my life and in the lives of other LGBTQ people when I look them in the eye and I can see that we're fully liberated as a people. Um, I don't believe that we've achieved that. I don't believe that any racial group or marginalized group has achieved 
liberation in this country, and that's what we have to fight for, um, where I can walk into a room as a black man, a gay man, and an immigrant and know that I have been liberated and I'm actually fully protected um, under all of the principles and laws and regulations of this country. Um, we need to get to that point where we can actually uh, deconstruct the hierarchies of identity, and we're not there yet. But that is one of the things that I'm hoping to do, create that platform, create that pathway for us to actually be liberated as a people. That, that's so awesome, and I am so on board. Um, and anything we can do, obviously, you know, we, we will support you and, and your, your vision. Um, what, what should people do on the grassroots level to be part of that? We are hopefully in the next month or two or three, depending on COVID, I will be traveling again. Um, and I'm hoping to connect once again with folks in states all across the country and internationally, in fact, uh, because the human rights campaign does work internationally. Um, in terms of doing work, being with the grassroots, I would say please just contact the human rights campaign and see how we can work more collaboratively or closer with you if you're not already working with us. Uh, we have 11 different programs. We have a transgender justice initiative. We have a welcoming schools initiative for kids. We have a seniors program. We have political work. So I know grassroots organizations do a variety of things, but one of the things that we have not done well as a movement is think about how we can leverage our connections and relationships so we can have greater impact. And so I am forging those relationships with national organizations and local organizations to make sure that we can have a greater impact in the communities that we're hoping to serve. So for anyone who does not know about the Human Rights Campaign, has not coordinated with the Human Rights Campaign, reach out to us and explore what we could do together so we can have even greater an impact that we're already having. Because I think that is one of the ways that we can uh, advance our path forward to liberation. Um, fantastic. Um, Harvey Milk, you know, famously years, many, many years ago, um, really encouraged people to come out to be known. That was his kind of set of wisdom for the future of, you know, to, if they know us, then they won't be against us. And, and in many ways, the, the changes that have happened in our society over the past few decades are kind of a result of that philosophy and that, that effort of people to come out. We're sitting in a, a nation that is divided in a philosophical way that I have never seen in my lifetime, where there seems to be a wall, it's even a wall of in, against intelligence or information. Um, how do we bridge the gap? Um, you said it so well. <laughs> uh, what, I would, what I would say is this we have to be comfortable having the uncomfortable conversations uh, in our families at work um, with our neighbors um, I'm interested in talking to the 74 million people who didn't vote for Joe Biden I'm interested mm -hmm. in having that conversation because in most cases based on my experience they have been operating on based on misinformation disinformation and fear and in order for us to expand the scope of equality and get more people under the tent um, we have to remove 
the disinformation and the fear that has been propagated by anti-equality extremists. They have told many of their members that we're the devils, that we're looking to ruin this country, that we're looking to ruin women's sports, that we're looking to ruin the institution of marriage, that we're looking to ruin the education system, and it goes on. We've heard all of these arguments. It is always about us doing something to ruin the status quo. And we have to have the conversations with those who are receiving this vile disinformation to make sure they understand the facts. And Mm -hmm. we live in an environment right now where you can get your news from a variety of sources, and some of those sources are not legitimate sources, but you may believe that they are. And how do we get that information to you? The only way we do that is to have the conversation. We have to get comfortable having the uncomfortable conversations with members of our family and our workplaces and other places to make sure that we expand the scope of equality so people see the value in it. No one should be afraid of equality. Right? How is it that my marriage affects your life? How is it that mm-hmm. my trans child affects your life? But that is the false paradigm that so many people have been fed. If you allow LGBTQ people to be protected, that means you lose something. And that is such a false paradigm. It is not true. But that's the conversation. Those are the conversations, I should say, uh, that we have to have. Perfect. And with that, that is unfortunately the end of our conversation today because we are literally out of time. Uh, Mr. Alfonso David, I want to thank you for who you are, for what you do, um, and Godspeed, we are with you every step of the way. Um, and, and thank you, of course, for coming on and talking to us today. It's been an absolute privilege and an honor to have you as part of our conversation here. Um, I want to thank Brody for his work and everything he does, and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate you very, very much. Tell your friends, family, have them subscribe. Um, we love to talk to them. We will be back again next week with a very, very, very exciting show, and I have no idea what it's going to be about. But I can guarantee you it will be all of those things. So uh, anyway, so for all of us here at Rated LGBT Radio, I thank you so much for tuning in, and we will be here again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.